Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, and welcome back to K-Hole. I'm Mary Kay, and joining me this week is producer, director, and writer, Travis Stevens. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. I'm very excited to be here and, and talk weird art with you. <laughs> Thanks for the invite. Now, I, um, I watched Jacob's Wife, which is your most recent film, um, I think that was the first movie that came out in 2021 that I watched this year because I don't tend to watch a lot of new releases, Mm -hmm. but, um, and, and I loved it. And then I was sort of like looking back and being like, wait a second, this guy's been involved in like a lot of stuff that I have really enjoyed. Um, like you, you produced girl on the third floor in 2019, which was, um, like the ghost movie with CM Punk, who's, actual legal Christian name. I cannot yep. recall at the moment. <laughs> Phil Brooks. <laughs> Phil Brooks, right. Uh, who is also appears briefly in Jacob's Wife. Um, and then you also produced Yodorovsky's Dune? Yes. So feel very uh, fortunate to have been involved in that. And I think that it um, kind of certainly uh, impacted the trajectory of the types of movies I wanted to make after that and, and how I wanted to approach making movies. So definitely a, um, a bit of a, a spiritual uh, experience there. Yeah. Yeah. I came away from that movie feeling kind of similarly like this, there was this like spiritual um, quality to it. I am, um, you know, I'm a big fan of Dune. i don't recommend that anyone else do this, but I did read all of the books in the space of like a month, um, <laughs> about a decade ago. And Yudorovsky, um, obviously, um, Holy Mountain is a movie I really, uh, really enjoy. And so it was kind of this bittersweet, uh, you know, experience watching that that documentary and just seeing like what could have been. Um, but also just the way that he talked about filmmaking was so evocative to me. Yeah. One thing that I, I sort of carry with me and and, in talking to other people, I I think them as well, uh, um, a movie or a work of art can be whatever we want it to be. We don't need to work in the framework that was handed to us. 
like we're are we handicapping our own imagination because we think this is what a movie sh- should be this structure this conflict this is how it looks this is what happens in a movie because that's the way a movie's been defined uh before we started making them and, and just that idea of like no it can be whatever you want it to be i mean it's so obvious like ah uh, that's art and that's <laughs> what an artist should how they should think but there's something about i think the movie business where you get into it and you just try to emulate the things that you think will make it easier for you to get to the next stage of the mm. process whether that's as a writer or as a director um or as a producer and to just hear somebody say no stop that's horseshit is like yeah it just was uh, an appropriate uh, uh, sort of clacks on for me. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, I, I kind of, I understand how that stuff happens. Like filmmaking um, at the scale of, you know, even a modestly budgeted feature film is an expensive thing to do a lot of the time. And um or I guess, you know, to make a movie the way that we expect a movie to look yeah. is expensive. Um, and so, you know, people have to make compromises. They have to negotiate that stuff. Um, but it is really, really something when when you find a movie that breaks out of that. Um, so I don't know if you're a fan of his, but I watched uh, John Borman's Zardoz for the first time about a week ago. And I had heard... All I'd heard about that movie was, oh, that's the movie where Sean Connery runs around in a red diaper. Yeah. And that movie blew my mind. It was the fact that that movie, I think it was um, funded by Fox, was just like unreal. And I read this quote from him afterwards where he said, um, I think film is very much connected to dreaming and the unconscious. That's where its real power lies. Film has been vulgarized by Hollywood. You can't help but feel that it's lost its way. Really good films get made somehow or another, despite this tendency towards vulgarity. Yeah. And uh, that that really struck me because some, every once in a while, a film will like filter through this stuff, I feel like, and just really deliver this kind of like, oh my God, like stops you in your tracks kind of experience, but it's so rare. Like, how do you how do you like deal with those pressures? Like as someone who is in that field, like, you know, you, you presumably you want to to do that kind of stuff, right? You want to show people something that is um, meaningful that, that um, you know, you want to like rip out your heart and show it to them or something like that. But there are all these forces making it hard for you to do that. Yeah. I mean, um, Borman is like a, a perfect example of, of somebody who was, of a generation or, or a time in the business where you could take a wild creative swing and maybe each one didn't land, but at least you were, you know, the ones that did, you'd get a masterpiece. Uh, and at least you were getting something new and unexpected. We're now in a time where, you know, at a certain level of filmmaking, uh, up to the top, the entire system is designed to prevent anything unexpected 
from happening. Right. And I think that is what the audiences are experiencing too, for the most part, where you kind of know the rhythm of the narrative and the rhythm of the, of the uh, filmmaking before it's happening on screen. Like you, because we're just all so, uh, um, you know, we all have that same sort of familiarity with structure, conflict, all that shit. And for, for filmmakers now, I mean, not, not speaking for everybody, but it, it seems like it's like a bunch of frogs in a boiling pot of water where they don't notice that they're getting boiled alive because it's just slowly getting worse and worse. Um, and you know, what is, what is the best case scenario? You get to do a Marvel movie, but they let you put a couple of your own jokes in there. Like that's not the level of success. I think most people, when they think I want to make movies or at least in my generation, like I want to make movies, you're dreaming of telling stories and showing worlds, not emulating the dreams and worlds. Somebody else came up with 30 years earlier. And all we're doing now in, in filmmaking is basically cinematic lookbooks where they're just, you know, okay, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's like Scorsese's, you know, King of New York, but it's with the Joker. And I bet that lookbook really fucking blew the minds of some 30 year old execs. They're like, this is brilliant. And it's like, yeah, on the surface in a lookbook as as a sort of a, 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 a whatever, a, a temporary sort of riff, but it's not a work of art. I mean, the craftsmanship might be nice and everybody might have put their heart and soul into it and been committed to it and really tried to make something special but at its very core it's a it's a it's a flawed uh genetically flawed work The quality of film that I value the most in terms of film like as a medium is its dreamlike and associative qualities. Um, and yeah. I feel like a, a number of directors and writers from like vastly different experiences have have hit on that in different ways. So even someone like David Mamet, who like, you know, is by all accounts like not a very nice person. Um, he hits on this too. And he, he talks about in um, uh, one of his books, he talks about, you know, you should read Freud. You should re read like um, Jung um, because you, you want to get at these kinds of images that like populate our unconscious. And um, I, I feel like sometimes there is this uh, because movies have become so formulaic that there is this like resistance to anything that that doesn't feel like that and that anything that doesn't kind of fit that formula is interpreted as either um just bad like it's it's not structured right or something um or it's too like highbrow or something it's it's art films right it's like indie stuff um like is that is that something you've ever run into with with someone saying like okay no this is too like you know you're you're going off to 
into the into this weird world. Um, we need to bring it back in and make it more like you know ABC. I mean, I haven't I haven't had to change what I'm doing too much, but I I do know. I mean, that that's the factor people are dealing with. I mean, it's like um, right. it's like Olive Gardens or or Applebee's. It's like that sort of <laughs> restaurant like that. That's like that's what we're looking for. You know, a thing that you can just sort of put anywhere in America and people are going to go there and they're going to think they're having a good meal and it'll be reasonably priced, but it will be the same. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who uh, are satisfied with that. But if you're whatever, I don't know, I don't know enough chefs or enough about cooking to come (laughs) up with a good analogy here, but it's like, if you're making fucking roast bear meat and, you know, sprigs of some rare fern chances are you're not going to be trying to get a job at applebee's so uh, i think you can sort of work outside that system but in general that's that's what it feels like the 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 business is and and a lot of it is just sort of like hey can you do an unusual artistic riff on this known commercial ip right and you know we're we're it feels like we're educating an entire generation to um, not recognize new ideas as valuable. Like you said, like they're, they're d- definitely on the, on the audience side, there seems to be a resistance to um, something that they don't have a reference point for something new, something ambiguous, something that doesn't give you all of the answers, uh, you know, or, or in a, in a sort of clear cut way. Yeah. And um it's it's strange how like you alluded to earlier almost like the pinnacle for a lot of people right now and not to you know place judgment on that or anything if that that's their personal goal um but it's like okay you know you you prove yourself with a few interesting features and then you get to do a marvel movie right so someone like Chloe Zhao is doing Eternals now, which like, I guess at the very least is getting away from the stuff that they've been doing for the last 10 years, but it's still like, okay, so is basically all talent just going to be pulled into this whirlpool of this machine that is, you know, you can talk about it and you can try to rehabilitate it. Mm-hmm. You can talk about the value that it has and like, sure, it does have value, but like, it's just like the uniformity of it. Like I wouldn't be as opposed to superhero or Marvel movies if they weren't like by far the most dominant force in film right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, when this conversation uh, unfolds on you know social media, it, it seems like there's part of the, the resistance to any complaints about it is sort of like, well, I like this. I like this. How, you know, you're, you're attacking something I like. And it's, that's not what we're saying. If a business doesn't allow talent to work outside of the thing you like and the thing you like in this case, superhero content is the only form that storytelling is allowed to have, how are we ever going to have artists grow? And I was thinking about like, like it seems like there's an entire generation of actors who 
maybe their legacy is going to be handicapped because the only thing to do to have a sustainable career is to get on a Marvel show. And, and that's not to say people don't dip out to do uh, an indie film here or there or, or you know, guest star on a TV series. But as far as like, if you think of actors from the seventies and eighties, you know, there would be a wider variety of uh, characters, stories, scenarios, and performances. So you can look at a Dustin Hoffman and think of all these different amazing roles and movies that they're in. Right. Today's Dustin Hoffman will maybe do one or two and then be locked into a nine picture deal with, with Marvel, which is business wise, the best choice that person can make. Right. But once that's done, a, will we have interest in seeing them go and play another character? Will we be able to see them in another role? You know, like, I think there's a, there's a, uh, an aspect to where things are in our business now that when people say, Hey, don't attack superhero movies, they don't understand that it's not about attacking the, 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 the movies themselves. It's, it's about pointing out that there's a giant spandex clad mold that has covered our entire ecosystem and we're going to die creatively if we don't break out from it. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've noticed the effects of that on myself, like as an, as a viewer, you know, when something manages to, to slip through and, and kind of get big outside of that ecosystem, like, I'm thinking of like a knives out, which I think is like a really fun movie. Um, I really enjoyed it. I don't think it's like one of the best movies I've ever seen, but like when I was watching it, I think part of me was just so conditioned by like, okay, this is a modern film that is like a, you know, has a bunch of big name people. Um, oh, but it's not a superhero movie and it's like a fun whodunit. And you can do this. And I feel like it benefited so much from that contrast in my mind. Um, and again, like it's, it's a fine movie. Like I, I liked it, but it is, it's funny to see things like, you know, like the, basically the bar is so low right now in terms of like what counts as something different, which can be pretty disheartening sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, and some people say, well, on TV, there's interesting things happening or in series. And, and, you know, that, that's true. Uh, documentaries, you know, I do, I do think there are other, uh, formats that are still doing interesting or at least work you, you watch and you feel like you're experiencing something new, but on the movie side, yeah. I mean, I, I forget what the meme was, but somebody posted like whatever the top highest grossing, 10 highest grossing movies in 1980 something versus 2016. And like the variety on the move on the list from the eighties, you know, adult dramas, you know, adventure film, war mm -hmm. film, like just a wide variety of types of stories. Obviously, you know, most of them Hollywood, most of them told by sure. uh, white straight men, but still compared to the, the sort of Avengers one, two spinoff, spinoff, spinoff. Uh, it right. was, it felt like, you know, the fucking library at Alexandria or something. <laughs> and then that can be hard too sometimes because people will 
people are coming at these conversations from so many different places and angles, right? So someone can look at, you know, a modern film and be like, well, look, like there's like a female director and there's, um, you know, there's a, a, a main character who's a person of color and, and um, maybe, oh, Loki is gay or bisexual mm-hmm. in the TV show or whatever. And say like, look, like this is all stuff that could never have happened. 30 or 40 years ago. And like, in some sense, okay, sure. There is something there, but like when all of that is like packaged in this really safe, like, you know, formula, it's kind of like defanged, right? It's like not in ways it's like not as meaningful. Um, if it's like, okay, yeah, you can have representation, if it is, you know, people putting on costumes and fighting and being supported by like the U S military and stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's not our place to uh, judge if somebody else is, is seeing value in, in feeling represented, but I will just say for me, it's like, I don't want representation that's like a, a, a fucking merit badge sewn on right. a, a boy or a girl scout uniform where it's like, see, I've got my, right. Know, Check I, off the box. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that is not exploring anything or empowering anything that is literally just like, or it feels like a wink. And it also feels inconsequential if it's not directly dictating where the story goes or how a character is behaving to the events that are unfolding and actually being a factor in it, then it doesn't have meaning. So it's just, it's, it's the same thing as like a, a thing written on the back of a, of a trading card or an action figure. It's just a little, right. little stat. It's mm-hmm. not, not, not actually telling something of value in my opinion. read you cite a few movies that do really do interesting things with um with some of these subjects um that you know some of them are horror movies so something like ganja and Hess is like this incredible vampire movie that is so non-traditional and that is is so like weird and and gorgeous um, and a lot of people don't know about that stuff. Like there is this whole, you know, history of people getting to do this stuff in like, you know, in genre sometimes. So is that sort of something that attracted you to horror or uh, like, how how did you come? Because I know you don't, you know, you don't, you aren't exclusively interested in that genre, but like you've, you've um, done a couple of these movies that are, you know, ghost stories or vampire stories. Um, like what is it about that that draws you to it? 
other people have said this, but it's, it's a pretty malleable genre that on, you know, on a purely economic side, you can sort of take some of the risk away from the, the people who are financing or distributing movies because they know there, there will be some aspect there that there's a pretty uh, fervent uh, consumer base for. So that's the crass part of it. But from the artistic side, it's a, it's a genre that you can tell any type of story you want and you can just sort of, uh, you know, put it in, in, in that, that structure. So whether it's, uh, you know, I mean, uh, Jacob's wife is uh, domestic warfare. It's a relationship recalibration story. Um, girl on the third floor, it's, about toxic masculinity and about sort of a person revealing their true nature and being uh, finally judged for it. Um, I think with whatever the subgenre is, you can you can find a way to tell a story in it that uh, has relevance to something beyond the plot. Like it has relevance to culturally right now or, or, you know, emotionally, uh, at least the, 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 the best genre or the genre I respond to. I mean, there's a lot of, when you talk to the, to the industry people, agents or executives or whatever, they're like, we love horror. Can you give us another, a quiet place? <laughs> like they, they want a log yeah. line that they know, Oh yeah. Tons of people will come which has its own value, but, 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 but for me, yeah. Uh, and a lot of other filmmakers working in it is I can camouflage any type of movie I want to make as long as there's a threat in it. It's interesting to, to me as a relatively recent horror fan. Um, you know, I, I, hated horror movies when I was a kid and for most of my life like I had no interest in them I was like why would someone watch a movie to be scared I don't understand that um, and then a friend of mine like kind of gradually introduced me to the genre through sort of some of the goofier stuff um, and you know I sort of made my way through the decades and, and have kind of progressively caught up um, but it's interesting to see now like in ways horror has become like a very specific niche kind of market and audience. Um, and you have, you know, services and sites and conventions and stuff dedicated to that audience. But in another way, it's become this kind of prestigious genre. I mean, you know, people talk about obviously like a 24 movies and, and this idea of like horror as like horror movies that are about trauma in some way, what do you like as someone who has been, you know, watching movies for a long time, like, how do you, how do you feel about that stuff? I know it's, it's complicated, but like this trend, and I don't think it's entirely new, but towards horror being like a metaphor for, you know, like family trauma or, or interpersonal kinds of stuff. So like your, you know, your hereditaries, those kinds of things. Yeah. We're, kind of in this golden age right now where maybe because there's less opportunities to work in, in more genres, uh, maybe because of that, we're getting some incredible artists working 
within this genre. So I, it, it does feel like we're in this this age of prestige horror, where the the concept, the theme, the plot, and the execution are all working together in a really harmonious and exciting way. So obviously, A24, Shudder, it's one of the streaming services that it's really just put some incredible movies out there. And I, th- I think as, as this sort of, um, the, the convention to film festival, to press, to distributor um, uh, ecosystem got more defined and the relationships grew stronger and, and the awareness grew, I think what's been really exciting about it is new voices are now coming into that genre space where you you could, I'm going to speak in exaggerated terms here just to prove a point, which might be slightly wrong, but you could say in the eighties through the nineties, if you went to a horror convention, it would be one type of uh, movie fan there, you know, it was very sort of defined. And now I feel like there's a horror has a lot more colors on the palette. Um, and you're looking at filmmakers from other parts of the world, other perspectives, telling uh, a story using horror vocabulary. And that's, that's super exciting. And that's what's helping actually, uh, mutate it and keep it growing and keep it progressing in, in an interesting way. So, um, I'm not the type of person who every single night is like, I've got to watch three horror movies tonight and, and right. do it. But I, do you consistently find new and exciting movies are coming out in this genre that, that are really, it's like, hell yeah. Um, and, and, and for me personally, as long as they're not just uh, doing a riff or an homage uh, and just emulating something that came before is if they're actually bringing something new to it, something to say a new perspective or a new, new technique, then, then I'm like, this is a success for me as a viewer. And in terms of using trauma as sort of a plot point, that's something I, I am. There have been some recent examples of movies that do that where from my perspective, it felt really inappropriate and really um, poorly done. And, and to the point where you're sort of like, what this movie thinks it's thinks that it is doing and what it is doing feel uh diametrically opposed to each other like i don't think they understand at least how i'm reading this movie uh so so the trauma thing it's it, it gets interesting right yeah um i saw one of those movies on my first post vaccination flight recently across the country and um, do not remember the name of it right now. Um, but uh, I didn't, I, I wasn't actually watching it. I was watching something else. And then um, the person next to me was watching this movie. And it's presumably this movie, this kind of like revenge fantasy movie about this woman who like brings low these these bad men. But I I was you know, just sort of, you know, you're like sitting next to someone, they're watching a movie, you can't help but like kind of glance over and see what's happening. Yeah. And um, there's a scene, there's like a 10 minute long scene at the end of that movie where this woman is like slowly suffocated. And um, and then that's it. 
like she dies. And then I guess the guy who killed her is arrested. And like, that is like, like what, 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 sorry, what did you think this movie is, is supposed to be doing? Because if you want to do a revenge fantasy, we, we have done, we have done that. There are examples of that, like Miss 45. That is a brutal movie to watch, but like the protagonist gets to just enact this violence. And it's not this kind of toothless, like, you know, you thought I was drunk, but I'm not. Uh, ha ha. You've been appropriately ashamed for your actions. Like I, um, yeah, I mean, and that kind of gets into more thriller stuff, maybe not straight up horror, but it's a weird phenomena that I feel like I see happening yeah. kind of fairly frequently lately. Another movie that that did this that I haven't seen, but um, I edited a review of was Things Seen and Heard. And the um, the writer of that that review, Annalise Ogard, basically pitched it as like, ladies, is it feminist to get murdered? <laughs> right. And like, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of just like, it seems like, you know, there are people who had a really good handle on, on how to do this stuff. And those people are making really great work. And then maybe studios say, we want another, you know, yeah. we want the next hereditary. We want the next midsummer. Can you give us that? And, uh, and we get this kind of thing, which is really not great. Yeah. I mean, uh, my my cynical feeling is people who have the ability to finance and get movies made or allow people to make movies see this as a genre or a trend and so we are getting a bunch of movies in that subgenre simply because of crass exploitive commercialism not necessarily because these are the movies that those filmmakers would want to make. Those may just be the movies those filmmakers could get made when it comes to with some of them. uh, I mean, diplomatically, I'll say one of the benefits of, of the first movie you were describing was the number of conversations I've had with people trying to understand why uh, that movie is successful because mm-hmm. my experience with with my partner and, and our peer group while watching it was this movie doesn't make any sense in terms of <laughs> what not not that it needs to be in the style of uh, a classic rape revenge movie but why does this character punish the women in the story more than she right. punishes the men yeah and and so like like I said, I mean, in these conversations, ongoing conversations I have, I'm trying to, to see, I'm trying to learn what I'm missing. And there's a, mm. there's a, there's a benefit to that, but the actual yeah. experience of watching the movie and seeing it's sort of being embraced. And there's been some other movies that do similar things where the sticker on the back of the car boldly proclaims what type of movie it is, but you don't buy it. I don't buy it. I don't buy that that is a movie about uh, empowerment, despite the people who made it. Because I think the movie itself undermines that character, undermines the, the thing supposedly motivating that character, and undermines the issue that makes the movie relevant at all.
that let us speak to some of the limitations that are are placed on writers and directors. And you know, it would be facile to say, oh, this, you know, this person set out to make <laughs> a bad movie, right? It's, um, you know, so much happens between the in the process of making getting a movie made that like yeah like you know the things that that get picked up are are going to be nudged in this direction um and i wanted to to circle back a bit because on the opposite side of that spectrum is the idea of the director as like an auteur who um whose whose vision is paramount and um may have to do unusual things to to achieve his vision but it's he's pursuing art and um you know whatever happens happens i'm thinking of someone like william friedkin who is an incredible director uh just unbelievable and it almost feels like the universe shouldn't have allowed him to be that good of a director because of all of the stuff that he pulled while he was making movies um or even someone like Yodorovsky, like yeah. in Yodorovsky's Dune, he talks about sending his son away to live with a martial artist um, and train so that he could be Paul Atreides and, uh, or, or things like, you know, slipping, um, I forget who it was, but just kind mm-hmm. of like slipping someone, some drugs to, to sort of express his vision. And um, like, how, that, how do you like, you square that, you know, right? Like it, it's people who, who aren't necessarily doing, you know, we're not talking about, oh, this person is a criminal or a huge creep. Uh, is their work still, is it still okay to like their work? We're just, I guess, talking about people who like, you know, sort of push, <laughs> push the limits of, of common sense and of, of kind of like, uh, of reality to make something. Yeah. I mean, n- now that I'm, a writer director, I can I can speak from experience on this. Where it, it gets easier if you just take that approach to every aspect of your life. Like when you go and get your newspaper in the morning, if you're just mm-hmm. a giant asshole and yell at the neighbors and, and make demands, you know, then then when you're on set, it it's easier. Like the, that's a joke, but um, <laughs> just in case people couldn't tell. Uh, no, I mean the the first thing that needs to be clear is the process of making a movie is not the same on every movie. Mm. There are the same elements at play often, but the specifics of what that story is, who's making it, where you're making it, what your budget is, the, the capability of the people, the availability of the people. Like there are all these elements that are, are unique to each production. So, so when people think of a director, what that person's job is, is slightly different from movie to movie, what they're, what they're, what is required of them or what they, what they feel is required of them to get the thing or to encourage, uh, to, to, to get the, the come closer to the thing everybody set out to make and that, that changes. So I can say, you know, from the outside, the ideal situation is a group of people who all understand the objectives 
and are all at the same skill level and have the money and the time and the resources they need to get together to make a movie. Like that's the ideal version, but that might not be the case. The, the weather might be bad cutting into your schedule. The, the, the performer might not be connecting to the part in the way that you thought they would, or the studio exec thought they would. There are all these variables at play that, that start to erode that idealized version of a movie. So, um, so it's, it's interesting when the, when the debate about Kubrick or, or, uh, um, freaking or whatever. I mean, obviously freaking driving through <laughs> for the French connection. And when you right. watch the, the supplements and you hear the people being like, yeah, we didn't have permission. It's like, no, that is not okay. <laughs> so yes, 100%, everybody can say that is not okay. Right. But I think you just need to keep in mind that there isn't like the, the job changes from minute to minute, day to day and what's required of, uh, of you. And I think that is what sometimes creates uh, um, moments where somebody might do something that, that is inappropriate versus, versus just sort of a, a binary sort of like right. there's good directors or bad directors. Um, yeah, I'm not trying to excuse anyone's behavior, oh, yeah, but no. just sp- speaking from like, I don't know if anybody wants to do a hundred takes of a shot. Right. Like, so what is the reasons that you're doing it? I, I, I can't think of a reason other than <laughs> it feels like you need to do it. So, yeah. I don't know. On that, that note of this, like this, you know, this idea of like you know, good directors, bad directors, um, and you know, like good, good characters, bad characters something that I, I really loved about Jacob's wife is that I feel like it would have been so easy for that story to be about, you know, Barbara Crampton's character being this, this put upon wife um, and Larry Fessenden's character being this uh, overbearing, yeah, you know, just, just no, terrible, humanity. terrible man. And like, that isn't what that movie's about. Right. Like, it's like it's it's interesting like i was live tweeting it when i was watching it and uh the like when fessenden's character just sort of immediately accepts that vampires exist and that his wife is a vampire and he's like well all right um i guess we'll have to go get you some blood (laughs) um like was was that something that you were really conscious of when you were working on that yeah because I, th- I think with the, with all the movies, I, I'm trying to sort of start the story like a movie ahead of where mm-hmm. our movie begins, and 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 so it's that the simplicity of a good wife and a bad husband, and right. you know, like that's so rudimentary. And so, okay, we'll get that idea out, and, and what makes it more interesting, and, and every character should have their humanity and should have their perspective on what's going on. And with Jacob's wife, the the fun seemed to be to have this couple be very grounded in the real world, like a real marriage and what that would be like 30 years in, and then have the exaggerated stuff happening around them. The, the, The fantasy supernatural horror stuff happens around them and they play it straight and react to it straight. So, 
um, like for me in, in that example, like when, when Larry's character accepts that his wife's a vampire, that's also his character being like, I'm going to fix this. I know how to fix this. Mm-hmm. And that's true to that particular male character of sort of like whatever their partner's going through immediately moving into, well, I can make it right. Instead of mm. saying, how do you feel? <laughs> how are you feeling? <laughs> like, <laughs> do you need, is there anything I can do or, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, God and Barbara Crampton is just incredible. Uh, in that movie like she's given so many opportunities to just really like just really play it up um like i'm thinking about the you know the grocery scene um or the scene when she's dancing to concrete blonde um yeah that was the goal was was hers to to give her basically a a bunch of different scenes that could show a wider array uh, of her acting ability comedic dramatic physical you know, to just sort of expand the stage that she's performing on so that, you know, here's, here's somebody that is sort of an icon in the, in, you know, the horror genre. And that has value, but I wanted to show that she's a real actor. Right. And, and that requires, I mean, an actor can only do what's on the page, what's in the script, you know, what the movie allows them, that they can only show that that goes back to like our conversation about like superhero movies. Like you you can only do what is in the script. So it's up to the, to the writers and directors and, and producers to expand what's in the script to sort of give the actors a bit more to play with. Yeah. Just getting to see um, Larry Fossenden and Barbara Crampton just playing off each other is is just like so incredible. Like I actually, I think I heard about this movie the the day that it came out um, and was just like, okay, well I, or, or I think, no, the day that it was released on shutter and it's like, okay, well I'm immediately watching this because, you know, these are these two, um, these two kind of legendary people um, and getting to see them play just this very like ordinary couple who are trying to deal with this bizarre, problem like at at points i feel like that movie becomes like literal farce of just like oh barbara killed killed someone there's blood everywhere how are we going to hide this from the the cop who's at the door right um and and what i love too about about that movie is that you kind of expect i mean if you go into this movie with sort of a, a genre awareness you sort of expect like okay the way this movie ends is either she kills uh, Jacob or the master kills Jacob or something. And then she sort of goes off on her own, does her own thing. And that's not how the movie ends. And instead you get this like, like very tenuous, but like this sort of uncertain ending. Um, But, but he's alive, right? Like she hasn't just killed him. It's not like, oh, that's how we solve our problems by, you know, by killing, by um, killing our husband with our vampire powers. Um, Yeah. I mean, my, my view or approach was it's like any serious issue that comes up in a relationship. It's going to take a little bit of time to fully resolve. And in this movie, we acknowledge it. But it's not fully resolved. I mean, he right. he once again 
you know, robs her of her agency. She once again, uh, well, I mean, she's more comfortable sort of speaking, you know, speaking her, her, her needs and wants, but it's something that she recognizes, but they, they're not, they're aware of a problem now, but they haven't resolved it. Uh, and then, you, you know, people are like, again, <laughs> like, uh, that doesn't make sense. Like, well, not everybody, but some people are <laughs> like, I know it's kind of like life. Takes it takes a minute to, to you know, get to the conclusion. Yeah, they're um, both as as performers and as people. They're they're a lot of fun to make a movie with, and I encourage people to seek out their other work. And uh, if you have the opportunity, cast them because oh god, please, going to get um, value beyond what ends up on screen. They're just uh, really really um, good spirits to have around you while you're making a movie. If really, yeah, no, that movie, especially, you know, something like, um, you know, girl on the third floor, um, is a little bit more of like a dire, um, kind of gruesome, um, movie, but, but with, um, and you know, that's also valid and interesting in its own way, but it did seem like everyone was just having like a ball, um, making this movie. So it's, it's good to hear that that was the case. Yeah. I think it's a, a trajectory. Because like on Girl, it was really just sort of about ripping up the the floorboards and revealing mm -hmm. uh, the rot underneath. It's an right. uglier thing, and you know, although at the end of the movie, you know, some of the characters feel like they've they've moved on. It's you know kind of an ugly ending, regardless, uh, because the trauma is going to carry forward into the the next generation as well. Um, yeah, maybe Jacob's wife is a little more hopeful because at its core is a couple that that loves each other. And at the core of Girl on the Third Floor is a, a man who loves himself. Right. But a lot more uh, goo in Girl, which was a, a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. If, um, if Zardoz is the movie where uh, Sean Connery wears a red diaper in the minds of many people, I feel like... Uh, Girl on the Third Floor is, you know, rightly or wrongly, the movie where a haunted house comes on CM Punk's face for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Ectoplasm. It's ectoplasm. It's ectoplasm. <laughs> yes. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> I, I love Phil and I appreciate him getting what that movie was and being right. so, so game because mm -hmm. I mean, I, so we, one of your earlier questions is like, do you, you know, do you ever, encounter resistance to trying to do something totally original and having somebody be like, no, it needs to be more like this. Mm. And no, but you know, in that, in the case of that movie, the sexuality it was deemed too touchy. Mm. So how do you sort of convey those ideas? It actually sort right. of spurred a more creative way to, um, to have it manifest in the film and, so that's why we have a house coming all over the place. Uh, and I just really appreciate the, the people who worked on it, taking that idea seriously. And yeah. Like, how do we, okay, if this is the idea, how do we, how do we pull it off? So I'm grateful to Phil.
think that's a good place to wrap up. But um, thank you so much for for coming on the show. This was um, was really great uh, to get to talk to you. I really appreciate the conversation, and uh, I'm excited about people watching more weird horror films. So any chance, <laughs> uh, any chance I can do to wave that flag, it's appreciated. So thanks. We are all about weird horror films here. Um, do you want to tell people where they can find you online? I am at Travis Stevens on Twitter, at Travis Stevens on Instagram, and fuck Facebook. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. (laughs) Great. Well, thank you again, and I will see you all next week. The K-Hole is a fanbyte.com production, hosted by Merritt K and produced by Jordan Mallory. Follow Merritt on Twitter, at Merritt K. Follow Jordan on Twitter, at Jordan underscore Mallory. For more information on navigating your new vampire marriage, visit fanbyte.com slash podcasts or go to podcastnet.work. 